Hi, everyone. I'm Jill Smokler, and I've got issues. I've got a ton of issues, actually, and I'm pretty sure you do, too. And I'm positively sure we'll both feel better having talked about them. And that's what this podcast is all about. So let's get started. Callie Patrick is a sleep coach and best-selling author of Mastering Your Sleep Puzzle, your 12-week guide to sleeping better. She helps stressed out, tired people reclaim their sleep, energy, and enthusiasm for life. I am particularly interested in Callie's um, story because I have had insomnia for my entire life and am fully reliant on sleeping pills and have like the worst sleep hygiene ever. So this um, is a topic that's very interesting to me personally and hopefully you as well. Is the goal for everybody to get a solid eight to 10 hours a night across the board? Yes. For adults, it is generally recommended seven to nine hours, actually, for, for adults in our, in our age range. So there, there is not a comparison there to your teenage child, right? I hear a lot of that, right? Oh, my kid sleeps a lot. Well, they're in a different phase of life, right? They need a different number of okay. hours to sleep. Similarly, you can't compare yourself to your parents. They're in a diff, you know, different age bracket. They have different challenges. But for people in our age range, I'm, I'm a Gen X, right? Between seven to nine hours, there are some. And that's uninterrupted. Well, like, I mean, it not is. Getting up and being on your phone for 45 minutes. Yes, it is, it is normal to wake on occasion in the middle of the night. It, it is not recommended to get up and start doing something and, you know, live another life in the middle of the night and then go back to sleep <laughs> necessarily, right? So if you get up to use the bathroom, fine. You, you come back to bed and you fall back to sleep. Totally normal. There's nothing to, you know, generally speak, unless you're doing that, you know, 500 times during the night, then you might need to see your doctor. But right. um, that's nothing to be uh, concerned about. We do have different sleep stages that we pass through in the night. And some of those are light sleep stages. So if you're in a light sleep stage and you happen to hear a noise, you might wake up, right? There's nothing inherently wrong with that as long as you do go back to sleep. So, so generally, yes, the duration for adults between seven to nine hours with, you know, an occasional wake up here and there is perfectly normal. What you're describing in terms of a, a sleep schedule that is not essentially standard with you know, our modern sort of work day, right? Go to bed at 10, get up at six or seven. Um, what I what I usually say about that is if there's no problem, there's no problem, right? If you, mm-hmm. if you go to bed at two in the morning and you get a solid seven to nine hours and you wake up and you do your day and you're not tired and you're not suffering from fatigue and you're productive and your mind is clear, et cetera, et cetera, and that's your way of being, then fine, but if, oh no, there's definitely a problem. We can get into that later. <laughs> it's not it's not going swimmingly over yes. here. But <laughs> and there are you know from the I, I mentioned yoga as a modality that that really influenced me from from a yogic perspective. There are times of day and rhythms that go into the day and night, and I write about this in the book where it does make sense because energy naturally falls or energy naturally rises. So part of why we try to go to bed by 10 o'clock is to 
to follow that naturally decreasing energy into sleep and to get ourselves into a rhythm that aligns with nature. So when the sun starts to come up in the morning, we naturally rise with that, right? That is before we had technology, right? That is what would, that was our alarm clock, right? The sun in our face. So how about napping? Is that a total no-no? Yes. And that's, so there's a couple things in there, right? That's challenging with the whole daylight saving uh, time change, which we just went through. Uh, I'll put that aside for now. Napping is also a whole uh, conversation. In general, I don't recommend that most adults nap. No, I love naps. Naps are my favorite well, thing. Well, in, in general. So you, you asked about one size fits all, right? There are certain things that we try to do as, as basic foundational healthy sleep hygiene. And one this entire episode will be all of Jill's <laughs> terrible sleep hygiene habits and why she doesn't sleep at night. <laughs> Just FYI. That's part of why the naps can be disruptive, right? We have our circadian rhythm, which you've probably heard about, that kind of regulates when we're awake and when we're asleep. But we also have this thing we call sleep drive or sleep pressure. And the idea is that that pressure or that drive to want to sleep builds throughout the day the longer we're awake. Mm -hmm. And when you take a nap, and it depends on the duration, it depends on when you do it, it depends on how far down in the sleep stages you go, but you're essentially turning the release valve and releasing some of that sleep drive, which means that it would be accumulating. You would be, you'd be releasing it at night, but you've released it during the day. And that might make it harder to fall asleep at night. It might make it more challenging to stay asleep at night because you've already released some of that. And so that's why in general, you know, if people are having trouble sleeping at night and they are taking naps, that is one thing that we try to look at either, you know, it doesn't have to be eliminated. It can be how long is it? When does it happen? And the other bit about that is, is it a regular part of your rhythm of your day or is it an occasional sort of haphazard thing? Because again, we're looking at natural rhythms. Remember when you were a kid, you had nap time mm -hmm. and it was consistent right? This is when you go down for your nap. This is when you go down for your nap, right? If you are someone who struggles with a chronic illness, maybe there's a chronic fatigue syndrome. Maybe there's, you know, for older adults, have the nap time. It's, it's certainly reasonable, but it's a consistent part of the day because your body then gets yeah. used to it and it gets part of the, it's part of your rhythm. So if it's sort of a occasional and maybe sometimes it's 15 minutes and sometimes it's an hour and right, then there's no, there's no consistency. And that routine and that rhythm really sets the tone for how your body responds to that movement of energy. Okay. 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 <laughs> <laughs> we just put out an issue on menopause and I got a lot of questions about what sleep, what menopause does to sleep and well, perimenopause um, and the changes, the getting up so much more in the middle of the night. Um, what are, what are some of the effects that the process of perimenopause has on sleep and some of the, the fixes that there are? Yes. Well, I can certainly speak from personal experience 
uh, having the, the hot flashes, I think, is one of the, the many and, and probably the primary disruptor that I see of sleep for people and have experienced myself, right? In the worst, yeah. uh, in the worst nights, I could have been, you know, sweating and then freezing. And then, you know, so you throw the covers off, you pull the covers on because now, now you might be chilled, right? And you're. It's the worst feeling. I had a series of like, like six months where I went through that almost every night and you wake up and you're just like drenched, but you're freezing and hot and it's just the grossest, oh, it's the grossest feeling ever. So some of the things that I have learned, again, from personal experience and from working with many clients in this age range is having a a shower before bed is is Mm -hmm. often a really good idea, right? You don't have, if you have the time and want to take a, a lovely, luxurious bath, great. That's also can be good for sleep, but I don't like to spend that much time before bed. So just running mm-hmm. through a quick shower just to clean yourself off to, to get the body temperature uh, regulated. In the, in the different seasons, I noticed, for example, in the summer, if my air conditioning, if I waited till bedtime to turn on my bedroom AC, it was still too hot to go to sleep. So, you know, knowing that, mm-hmm. setting your thermostat, making sure the bedroom is cool enough when you go to bed in the winter and, you know, cool enough in the summer. Is there an ideal temperature? Uh, a lot of experts recommend the 65 degree Fahrenheit. Okay. I personally, I used to like it a little bit warmer. But now that I've, you know, been through this change, I find I like it a little bit cooler because you can always cover up with, with the blankets. I do also recommend that if folks are sweat, like waking up drenched, before you go to bed, set aside another pair of pajamas straight next to the bed. And if you happen to wake up and you go to the bathroom and you notice you're drenched, then just do a quick switch. Um, I also have lots of silk pillowcases. I found those to be lovely. And and also, it's a lovely time to be single because you can just switch to the other side of the bed. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I don't recommend a lot. I'm asked all the time about products, bedding products. And, and different products for sleep. I will say, you know, not to have a recommended um, brand, but the bamboo uh, sheet sets mm. are, for me, exactly same thing. You know, if you're on one side and you're alone, you happen, you can roll over to the cool side, right? And then you come back and yeah. forth. And so anything to get yourself back to sleep as quickly as possible without pressure. We don't want to add the, oh, you know, oh, here we go again you know, this sucks. And the mind starts getting involved. It's just like, okay, wake up. What do I need to do? You know, towel off, change the clothes, move the side, flip the pillow. Yep. You know, just get, stay out of the conversation about how much it sucks because that's just going to wake you up more. So menopause aside, what if you're stuck in that bullshitty counting sheep, awful, you're just in bed and, you know, you just can't fucking fall asleep. What are you supposed to do? There are different schools of thought on that. I do coach a lot of people who have been through uh, a popular technique, which is called CBTI, which is the Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia. And that's great because it's, it's, not, a, it's not a drug, right? It is a therapy that, that you can use to uh, 
to deal with your insomnia, and it is for more clinical uh, insomnia. However, there is a, a, a piece of that that talks about sleep restriction, which is pretty much what you're alluding to, right? Okay, I'm tossing and turning. It's been a certain amount of time. So their recommendation is to get up, get out of bed, do something relaxing. Well, <laughs> what do you do? Because many of us will just get on the phone or, you know, start doing something that's not entirely restful and relaxing. The the motivation behind that is really good. It's right to prevent us from getting more anxious and stressed about the fact that we're not sleeping. Again, that said, I do coach many people for who that does not work because then they get up and then they're stimulated and then they're doing and they're not sleeping. So what we do in coaching is practice some techniques for resting. Because here's the thing, if you cannot rest, if you're that person who can't sit down without popping up every two seconds to look at something, to go do something, then it's going to almost be predictable that you can't sleep. I I joke and say it's the pop-up syndrome, right? That we're, okay, okay, now I'm going to sit down and I'm going to take the load off and I'm going to rest. And oh, oh, but there's that there's the, you know, the laundry is still not done. And oh, I have to write this down. And I have to do it now or else I won't be able to sleep because there's still another thing. But there's always another thing. So what I like to do with my clients is to use that opportunity, not sleeping, but being in that quiet, restful space to really absorb that rest and train yourself to enjoy the rest and relax into it. That often in and of itself can take away some of the anxiety and the stress around, I have to fall asleep to, Mm. no, I can enjoy this opportunity for rest and rest is valuable in and of itself, right? Even if I'm not sleeping, I'm learning how to rest and I'm enjoying that rest. And if I can rest, then Mm. someday I can sleep more easily. And that for many clients Mm. has been life changing. And so we discover some things to do together in that place when you're up in bed that are restful and that varies depending on, you know, the specific uh, manifestation of why you're up. What, what do I, I love that, but what do some of those, give me some examples of, of what that could be? Um, in some cases, it can be a specific way of breathing. It can be a visualization. It can be a, a meditation. And I'm not speaking about the ones where you turn on your phone and have it bore you to death uh, before sleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it can be a, a body scan, a muscle relaxation. Um, I like to do ones with clients that are sort of a multitasking kind of way of having your mind focus on the sensation so that the mind doesn't have the opportunity to move on to something else, but it can really feel into that relaxation. Um, but again, that really depends on, on the person and, and why they're up and what's happening for them when they're awake. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can be really useful to just make that mindset shift and say, okay, I'm awake. It's fine. Let me use this as an opportunity to practice resting. And I want to say one other thing about that that I think is important, which is that when people wake up and and the the self-talk and the negativity and the worry around that start or the planning or whatever, the next thing that the mind usually goes to is, okay, what should I do? I can 
count sheet. I can do this breathing technique. I can do this meditation. Maybe I should get up. Maybe I should have some tea. Maybe I should go to the bathroom, right? And there's all these choices that start swirling around in the head. And you can feel just by me naming those things, that's an energizing, stimulating way of thinking. So before, mm -hmm. if you know you have this problem of waking up, find one thing. What is the one thing that if you did it in the middle of the night, feels like it would be wonderfully restful and enjoyable? And if, and if you don't know that, you can always work with somebody to help you find that out, right? And then all the other stuff is fine, but you're not going to focus on it. So when you wake up, it's like having those pajamas by the bedside. When you wake up, you know, this is the thing I do. And you don't have to think through all the choices. You don't have to figure out what's the best thing. Because oftentimes there's one thing that if we keep doing it over and over again, again, we're training ourselves. We're training that rhythm of, okay, now I'm resting. Now I'm resting. Now I'm resting. And we do it over and over and over again until it becomes part of our pattern. Okay, again, <laughs> I need specifics. Give me an example. Aside, like that doesn't, because every time I think of an example, it would include a phone, like getting, putting on like a meditation or an audio something or music, like what, being in bed, like. So an example would be, to, and again, this isn't appropriate for everybody, but if you take a moment to, if you put your hands on your belly or on your chest, wherever you feel your breath most mm -hmm. clearly, when you breathe in, you feel the breath move. When you breathe out, you count one. When you breathe in, you feel your body move. When you breathe out, you count two. And so on. And you're not counting down, you're counting up because... You can be counting for hundreds, right? So there's no pressure to say, oh, by the time I get to one, I need to be asleep. And all you're doing is that one technique over and over and over again. And odds are you're going to lose count because the mind goes somewhere else. Maybe you fall asleep, right? If you're up and you notice the mind's gone somewhere else, you start again at one. And that's a more mental kind of um, activity. Some people need a more bodily sensation kind of activity. Mm -hmm. So with a, a body scan, we would do something like, okay, breathe in, uh, breathe out, feel your little toe on your right mm -hmm. foot. Breathe in, feel okay. the next toe on your right foot, right? And so mentally, you're moving your mind back and forth, but it's a more physical uh, connection. I also like, um, I do frequent walks around the neighborhood. I started doing that during the pandemic. And I have a route that I mm -hmm. always do. Mm -hmm. And as I'm walking, I see things, right? You see a tree. You see, here's a fence. You notice, um, you know, some flowers on the corner. If you take mindful walks, you can replay those walks in your head. Mm. when you're about to go to sleep. I'm a yoga teacher too, so sometimes I'll um, do a yoga flow in my mind. One that I don't have to think about too much because I just know it so well. But mm. thinking about mentally moving and breathing or moving and taking in something in your environment, again, these are, these are all options. And the job is not to, you know, oh, which one should I do? It's to 
to find one that feels like it would be comforting for you and work for you. And this is, again, where it's useful to work with somebody because by getting to know you, uh, a coach like myself who's trained in these other modalities can say, okay, here's some things we could try, what sounds exciting, what sounds like it would be interesting to explore. Um, and, and then we work on that and we get feedback from your system on, on what that's like. What are the differences that you find with your clients in after, before and after they've had, you know, their sleep when it's been? Oh, gosh. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so as you probably can feel on a night of poor sleep, sleep is so important for our functioning just on a day-to-day basis, right? Physically, we feel better. Mentally, we're sharper. Um, emotionally, many times clients have not just stress, but anxiety, depression, mood concerns. These things can all improve with better sleep. And if you've just gone through the time change, as I think many of us have done, we can feel just one hour how impactful one hour of switch in our routine can feel. And so imagine if you were more consistently getting just one more hour of sleep, right? How that might feel. The the coaching process and the program that I put together, because we're becoming more conscious and mindful of what we're doing in our daytime, how we're stimulating ourselves, what are some op- and we're exploring some options for resting and and setting these rhythms. Many clients say that the coaching doesn't just impact their sleep, but impacts their lives, right? So not even just in terms of health and wellness, right? So some people end up exercising more, some people end up eating better, which of course all contribute to our our, our health and well being. Some people say, "Wow, I'm I'm really more patient with my family." I'm more creative. And so those are really, I find those um, impacts to be, to be fabulous. Um, I have one client who recently finished up who created a vision for herself. And we do that at the start of coaching because it's about more than just sleep, right? Nobody wants to sleep. Well, sleep is enjoyable when it works, right? But nobody wants to stay in bed and sleep all day. We want to have the energy to do things in our life and to be the people we want to show up as. And so when we first start coaching, we we create these visions. And she created this really focused vision for herself and what she wanted to be doing. And that guided all her subsequent choices throughout the day. Do I want to work with this client or do I want to say no to this client? Is it in my plan to take on this engage or go to this obligation or go to the social uh, situation or is it a better use of my time to do this mm-hmm. and a lot of that is energy regulation during the day right when we take on an activity when we do a project when we meet people this is all energy expenditure that we need to recover from mm-hmm. and some of it's physical and some of it's mental and emotional but we look at those things in, in the process and therefore it does affect more than just sleep. It often does affect other aspects of people's lives. Mm. Okay. Sleeping pills. What's your stance on those? 
Well, I have to say first off that I am not a doctor or a medical professional, uh, so caveat mm-hmm. there, but I haven't seen them work. I haven't personally experienced mm-hmm. them work. Most of the over-the-counter things, I see a lot of, I'll call it melatonin abuse these days. Mm-hmm. Melatonin is intended to be a temporary uh a temporary remedy for things like for oh, things like okay. jet lag. Uh, if you look up the uses of melatonin, the side effects, et cetera, et cetera. But I see many people doing it on a nightly basis, and oftentimes mm-hmm. at a at a high dose. And there's there's danger of dependency on that, and not just physiologically, but sort of just from a hey, if I can't take this, I can't sleep perspective. This, this idea, right? And it could be melatonin, it could be a tea, it could be tart cherry juice. It doesn't matter what it is, right? There's that association that we uh, that we create with whatever the thing is. It could be, hey, I listen to a sleep meditation or a sleep story, and it puts me to sleep. And um, these are all artificial external things that we're taking on to try to fix something that is natural and that our bodies and our minds know how to do. And I often point out to people that sleep, that these are, again, things, things are, we're attempting to control our sleep with these, with these substances and with these things. But sleep is about surrendering. Mm-hmm. Sleep is about letting go, like letting the day go in your body, letting it go from your mind. So it's the exact opposite of control. And it's often counterintuitive, but the more you try to control sleep, oftentimes the more you push it away, because again, it doesn't respond to control. We can influence our sleep in a lot of different ways. And that's really what I help people understand is where am I influencing my sleep? Am I influencing it positively or negatively for me? Am I influencing it positively enough to get the quality and quantity of sleep that I need and I want? And if not, how do I make some some changes to do that? So I'm generally not a fan of ingesting substances to create sleep. I am fully reliant on ingesting sleeping pills (laughs) every night. It sounds like it might not be working. Yeah, I don't think it's going great. Um, So what's the real problem for someone who's just taking like an Advil PM or a Tylenol PM every night to sleep? It it truly depends. I mean, if they're taking an Advil PM because of pain that's preventing them from sleeping, then that's, that's one thing to sort out. If they're taking it as a, hey, this puts me to sleep, because my system is so overstimulated during the day that I don't know how to rest and I I refuse to, Mm -hmm. then that's a different thing. And then again, does somebody want help with that? Mm -hmm. Um, If coaching is one of those modalities that is, you know, when the student is ready, right, the teacher uh, appears, It's, it's a relationship where someone says, look, what I'm doing isn't working. I don't know what else 
I don't think I know what else to do just yet, but I can't continue on this path. Something needs to change. And I'd like some help in figuring out what that is. Okay. Do people usually come to you like before a sleep study or after a sleep study? Uh, It's a mix. If I speak to somebody during a clarity call, which I do to talk to them and see whether coaching is a good approach, and they say, for example, well, I'm snoring, my partner reports that, you know, this is happening. I will ask, did they have a sleep study? Did they rule out sleep apnea? Have they spoken to their doctor? Sometimes that's the first step in in healing a sleep problem. That said, I have coached people who said, yes, I've done the sleep study. I have a CPAP machine. I have a dental appliance and I still have struggles. And is that what the, is that the only thing that the sleep study is really looking for, sleep apnea? Um, it's looking for, a, a, you know, it's the, it's the most common one, but I, I don't know too much about it. And the one I had was many years ago. Um, I do hear a lot about sleep apnea these days. Um, but there are other sleep disorders, the restless leg syndrome, for example, if people have um, intense dreams, if they sleepwalk, for example, things, things like that that are more uh, clinical sleep disorders. I, I differentiate myself by saying I work with disordered sleeping versus sleep disorders, mm-hmm. right? So more of the habits, the bad habits that people have accumulated or, you know, like I said, they, they might be dealing with a medical condition and need to find ways to work around that to sleep better. Mm-hmm. Um, chronic fatigue, restless leg. Yes, we know we have these things and we have medications and, and other techniques, but it's not enough. So we look to figure out as best we can together what's going to work and what's going to work within the context of that person's life and their schedule and their particular issues. What about products and things that people can, um, like essential oils, weighted blankets, like all this stuff that's marketed to poor sleep hygiene and helping, does that stuff really, really work? Is there anything that you recommend more than others? I explicitly state that I do not recommend any particular products um, I think the last time I looked at the $65 billion industry, the way I, the way I think about this is, look, if, if you have an uncomfortable mattress and you need a new mattress, go get a new mattress, right? Just like if your dining room table has a broken leg, go get yourself a new dining room table, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> is it going to resolve the fact that you're overstimulated, that you don't have, that you don't practice good sleep hygiene, that you never rest, that you never take care of yourself, no product is going to do that for you. So these are all nice to have. I have yet to see any of those things solve somebody's sleep problem. Makes total sense. I, 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 I sometimes joke if I would just endorse something, I'd probably be a millionaire at this point. <laughs> And I, yeah, you should pick. You should come out with. I something. get requests every every day about things, but I philosophically, I, I really do believe that we all have the ability to rest and to sleep well, and it's not it's it's simple, but it's not always easy because we do live in a culture that supports 
that overstimulated uh, nervous system. I mean, it's a nervous, in most cases, when we look at even, you know, defined insomnia, it's, it's a hyper aroused, it's an overstimulated nervous system, meaning we're, we're living in a stress response, we don't rest, we don't recover, we don't relax. And then we say, okay, now I'm going to shut off. Like we shut off mm -hmm. our computer at night and our body doesn't work that way. Our mind doesn't work that way. And we, we need to mm -hmm. relearn how to do that. And that's totally possible. And we don't need any stuff for that. So we really getting seven to nine hours should make it through a day. I mean, or should we be having coffee? Like, is that, is that, what are your feelings on that to stay away? I love coffee. I, okay. I, so is that, is that cheating? First of all, it doesn't mean that I never do anything wrong and I sleep perfectly all the time, <laughs> et cetera. Um, okay. And that I never drink coffee and I, you know, I mean, I'm a human being, right? Because <laughs> come four o'clock, like, I don't know how anybody is going to make it. Well, and that's the thing. So usually by 3 or 4 p.m., for most people, there's a lull in energy. And that's, that can be normal, right? We see it as like, oh, this bad thing, I didn't make it all the way through the day on high speed. But that's a nice window to practice something restful, hmm. right? To support yourself in like, okay, I have used all, you know, it's like a bank account, right? I've, I've spent money all day. Now I'm low, right? Your, your balance has hit the mark of like, okay, we need to replenish. So we need to often do something. Maybe that's maybe that's to go for a gentle walk. Maybe that's to lay on the floor and do some stretches. Maybe that I mean sometimes it's a glass of water. We're dehydrated. Uh, I thought you were going into another thing that started with a W, and I was gonna be like so on the same page. Why? Oh. I mean, not that I'm a huge drinker, but I just thought like that was just I liked the direction you were going. Um, <laughs> Alcohol is another one of those. Fabulous sedative, but yeah. in general, it's not going to set somebody up for a healthy sleep. That's not to say I never drink wine. <laughs> right. But again, these are choices and it depends on how many of these things are you doing that are depleting your sleep account versus putting money in your sleep account. And most people are just drawing and drawing and then you know, sleep isn't happening. And so then, you know, we're getting further in sleep debt. So it's not about okay. ever having fun. And <laughs> um, <laughs> but it is finding for you, where's the threshold, right? Where is that point where it, mm -hmm. it feels more consistently good and refreshing and, and health and life giving versus, okay, where do I feel that I'm just barely surviving? And what's the tipping point? Sometimes it's just one thing. I mean, I've said one thing in terms of focusing on one thing, but sometimes, especially when people have conversations about it through coaching, we discover, oh, here's the thing. It makes all the difference. Mm. And it's about discovering what is that thing for you. And, and for many people, it's a lot of little things, which is why I called my book Mastering Your Sleep Puzzle, right? Because... I hear from clients oftentimes, wow, there's a lot of little things. And when I put them together this way, the picture's clear and it works. And when I throw them on the floor and I have them scattered over here, 
and I'm not paying attention, then of course it doesn't work. I love that. And I love your way of looking at this. And I'm excited to to implement this tonight and see if it, um, if my one thing can make a difference. Great. What is your one thing? Oh, I think my one thing will be an after dinner walk. Yeah. Beautiful. So I've been meaning to do that for a while. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And see, it's not something, you know, the, the last thing I want to say too about coaching is it's not me saying, okay, Jill, here's what you have to do. Because a lot of times people come to a coach like me and they say, help me, tell me what to do. And the thing is that I don't know the best thing for you to do. You know the best thing for you Mm -hmm. to do. But you push it aside or there's there's reasons why not to, right? And really with a coaching relationship, the client is in charge. The client knows and my role is to help you go, oh, yeah, of course I know that this is what I need to do. And then maybe deal with some of the barriers to doing it to make it simpler and to help you see that all this other stuff is just distraction. (laughs) I love it. Okay. Tell people where to find you. Sure. I am at calliesleepcoach.com. That's K-A-L-I and also calliepatrick.com. Same thing on the website. There are um, lots of resources but um, they can download a free sample chapter of that book, Mastering Your Sweet Puzzle, which is also available on Amazon. They can book a 30-minute clarity call with me, where, again, we see if coaching is a, a good approach for their particular sleep issue. And I do have an online course called the Sleep Academy, and that's a, a self-paced six-week-ish course for folks who particularly have the mind chatter, right, for the stress mm-hmm. and anxiety at night. Um, I ran into that so much that I decided to, to put together a, a course for that. And I've had people run through the course and, um, and feel better. So that's, that's been fantastic. Awesome. Yay. <laughs> well, thank you, Callie. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening today. Don't forget to follow the podcast so you don't miss our next episode. And before you go, can I ask you a big favor? Could you just rate the podcast? Just give it five stars wherever you're listening. It really means a lot to me and to the podcast. And I'd be so appreciative if you could just do that before you go. Thank you very, very much. She's Got Issues is produced by Kira Shine, Play Audio Agency, and me, Jill Smokler. We would be so appreciative if you could rate and review the podcast. And don't forget to check out the magazine, she'sgotissues.com. See you next time.